Welcome to I See What You Mean, the podcast about how people get on the same page or don't, or perhaps shouldn't. Today my guest is Rami Hago. Rami's a friend and federal government consulting colleague with a background in military and veterans health IT. Rami, welcome to the show. Hi, Lou. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, sir. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, me too. Why don't you start with a short bio about yourself? Thanks, Lou. I've uh, I've been in IT federal consulting for the past 23 years. Wow. And uh, yeah, it started in 1998. So right around the time when people were starting to just get start dealing with Y2K. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. And, <laughs> and then, uh, so I worked in a, a, a variety of roles. I initially actually started off working at a help desk and doing a lot of end user support. And from there I went and I, instead of supporting the systems, I started working in QA to start to uh-huh. break, break the systems. <laughs> and then from there, I spent a few years doing that. And then I actually started to become a business analyst. I started mm-hmm. to write the requirements for the system. And I did this for a variety of federal agencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, started off at the Department of Justice. And then from there, I uh, was at the Department of Labor. And then for the past eight years, I've been at, at the VA. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my, my roles have morphed. The agencies that I've worked for have also changed throughout the years. But it's, uh, it's primarily been in IT systems. A variety of different kinds of systems, uh, grant management systems, and, and other systems. Wow! Like that. But I like that progression starting because people who are in customer, who are in call centers, have a very unique view mm-hmm. of IT systems. Not in a technical way, but they're getting calls because someone's having a problem. Right. So then you moved to QA. Would you say QA quality and? Yeah. Right. So I took that knowledge and I so said, that's "Okay, cool. well, how, yeah. How can I?" Basically, for lack of a better term, break the system before the users right. get to it. <laughs> That's cool. And then, like you and said, then, you sort of moved upstream to writing the requirements for systems. That's a great... Requirements, yeah. And then becoming kind of a, a business architect. And then the last few roles that I've had, I've been a project lead, program yeah. manager, and you know now an agile kind of a that team All right, uh, cool. lead sort of role. Well, and you and I work together at the VA for a bit on and, and with the um, uh, working on veterans experience, right. As a customer experience, veterans experience. And so there's a lot to get people on the same page about making it work for a user like a veteran mm-hmm. or, or, or a military member. If it's a, if they're active di- or making it work for people in the organizations who have to do yep. something with the data, whether it's processing benefits applications or, or healthcare medical records, billing, it's just, it's all IT, right? And there's a lot to, of, to, of a lot to get, there's a lot to get on the same page about. One of the questions I usually ask is, what are you getting people on the same page about today? And you could just take that and run with it. But what occurred to me as we're, as we're recapping your career and the roles you've played in it, it's like, well, what's been some of the most interesting challenges of getting people on the same page? Well, that's an interesting question. I think the biggest challenge really is is the people. And I guess when I say the people, I mean the culture. Mm. I've worked on IT systems where we are replacing a legacy system that has been around for 30, 40 years. <laughs> and with the inherent, you know, uh, an obvious 
reliability that folks have have on the system the familiarity um, with it yeah familiarity and they're comfortable and and it's and it becomes everything that they know when, especially when i was a ba oftentimes i was the sort of the tip of the spear right so i had to go in front of these users to explain oh, to them yeah, yeah. and elicit their requirements or their you know yep. their needs yeah. for a new system and you know, looking back on it, you know, I, I, I did often run into a lot of conflict and that conflict wasn't apparent to me earlier on in my career, what the motivating factor for that conflict was. I could just dismiss it as, well, these folks just don't know the benefits of right. the new system or yeah. they, you know, the, they're, they're set in their ways. Right, um, right, 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 right. You know, all those sort of common things that I would, you know, just kind of try and drive through without sure, because you had really a job to do it. you had a job yeah, to do exactly. and you were just trying well then as you throughout your career as you experienced more learned more and took on different kinds of responsibility what did, how did you what did you make differently of the conflicts then what did you make different uh, what, how, how'd you size it up differently if earlier on you just thought uh, they don't get it then later on what'd you think so I'll, I'll give you an example of some of the things that I started to so let me start off by saying that what I started to examine was when I experienced conflict, especially when it mm -hmm. came to writing the requirements for a major system replacement or system enhancement, it was that I wasn't understanding people's personal and or professional motivations for right, right. that conflict. And by that, I mean, personal motivations could be I am a couple of years away from retirement. I don't want to have to learn something new. This is just right. not something that I want to do. Professional motivations could be something like, I helped build this system, and therefore this is kind of my baby that you're, right. you're, gonna... you know, you're affecting here, and it could lead to me not having to do this job that I've always yeah. done. Maybe I'm not relevant anymore or something like that. Right. Yeah, right. And I, you know, and, and I think that until I actually really started to examine some of those motivations and, and really, you know, in a sense, kind of dive deeper into right. the, the why. And, you know, a lot of times that might have to been, you know, taking somebody aside or meeting somebody for yeah, having a coffee, different, or a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Yeah. yeah. You know, things that may have not been able to uh, easily come out in a requirements gathering mm -hmm. type meeting. With 20 um, people in the room. Yeah. Yeah. And so let me give you an example. I had a, what I would call a, you know, you would call it a, a very difficult uh, client one time mm -hmm. working on a system that she was the she was the subject matter expert mm -hmm. on she was the primary user the product owner you name <laughs> it she was in, in that system so and i had and i had to work with her to help develop these uh, enhancements requirements for the system and she she was you know she was known for being very difficult but very being very blunt she didn't mince words so you know she kind of told you right up front that she did not like okay. very bluntly told you that, you know, she didn't like something. Okay. What I started doing was that, and we had, I had a, at this point we had pretty much daily meetings that happened oh, wow. two, three hours a day Oh my! <laughs> with her and my team and sitting down with her. And so what I would do is 
you know, it was at nine o'clock in the morning. So it's, you know, you're coming in there. Everybody's has that sort of, this is when, you know, people still coming in the office and we went down to like this basement conference room that we had reserved for a couple of months. So what I started doing was coming in 30 minutes early, mm-hmm. going by her cube. And no matter what it was, I made a point to talk about something other than work with her, whatever it was, if it was the rain boots that she was wearing or, <laughs> you know, a particular, a particular jacket that was hanging up, you know, interesting. And, and that was, that was really all it took for her to then slowly start to really, instead of banging on me for two right. or three hours a day, but to actually communicate, you know, where the gaps were something where, more where you could do with. Being, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so then it really became the, the sessions started to become a lot more constructive yeah. and, and actually throughout our OINT office, I then became the primary person that they sent to deal with her whenever there was any kind of issue. Because they, just because of, of even right. if it had nothing to do with the system, or, it was like, you know how to go talk. You need to go. To right, let, me, let me ask you a question. What made you think of that? You know, I, I think it was it was something that I saw somebody do. Okay. Um, right. And thought you'd try it. it. Was, then I, I thought I would try it. And it was, it was kind of the same thing. It was uh, back when I was working at the help desk and oh, okay. uh, we had deployed a new system that, you know, the majority of the agency was having a lot of issues with. It was their first paperless system. They were used to doing things by paper. It had financial implications. So they, you know, there was a lot, it was a high stress period. People would actually come down to the help desk instead of calling and tell you what their, their issues were. And this one help desk technician who was dealing with, you know, a set of users. And what he would do is he, he would, the first thing he would do is when they would come uh, sit in his queue was throw a compliment at them, <laughs> no matter what it was. <laughs> it didn't even have to be true. But he dis- <laughs> well, that's my next question. Dis- yeah, he disarmed them completely <laughs> with my, just a yes. compliment. And it, no matter what they had to say, it wasn't going to be as bad as if he hadn't done that. Well, and, there, there's, there's something, there's some, there's some validity to the, to the technique, if that's the right word to use that, uh, well, first of all, it's hard to be, it's harder to be angry or cross, bullying, defensive, whatever, fill in the blank of a word that means your interaction is going to be unpleasant. It's harder to be that with someone you like. Yeah. And so when you were Rami, the, you were said you were a, a BA, a, a business analyst at that time. Mm-hmm. Right. Rami the BA collecting requirements to change the system that was hers, or you were Rami that established a little bit more of a personal relationship. It, it kind of rewires the brain a little bit. There's lots and lots of research on this kind of thing, plus just lore. There's just books full of lore about this in sales, right? Mm-hmm. Who's the guy? I've got some of his books, but Cial, Cialdini, Cialdini, something. Yes, his last name is Cialdini. He wrote Persuasion. He's a university researcher in psychology, and he wrote some very popular books, business books, and some of it touches on what you're talking about. He, he talked, he told a story when he was shadowing somebody who did like ADT sales, right? Okay. Alarm yeah. systems in the house. And the guy always made it a point once he was inside the house to have to go back out to the car for something, which he never needed. Mm-hmm. And he caught this and, and, and outside the house, outside away from the client, he asked, what are you doing? And the guy's like, you don't get it. No, I don't get it. What do you, why do you go out to the car and come back in? 
Is it because if I excuse myself from the kitchen, walk out, leave the door open, and walk back in, who gets to do that? Family and friends. Who yeah. gets to walk out of a house, leave the door open, walk back in without being let in? It's that same kind of thing you were doing of, yeah. it's a different role, it's a different feel. But let me ask you this question. How did you keep it from being obvious? Or how did you keep it from being trite? It could have been seen as a as a technique, as something you were, quote, doing to her, and she yeah, could have resented um, that. That's true. And so... You had to, I, I mean, I knew my audience. She was a lot older than I was. So it, it came off as playful, you know, my compliments to her. They weren't seen as okay. malicious in any way, you know. I, or as manipulative. I yeah, no, or manipulative. You know, and, and, and sometimes, you know, I'd be like, I actually do like your hair, you know. I, yeah, yeah. Well, I also yeah. know you, and I know that you're really comfortable in an interpersonal situation. You're just relaxed. Yeah. You don't give off any vibe of, even if you were under stress, I don't know if you'd, because we were in some stressful situations, you don't give off a vibe of being stressed because that, people pick up on that like, like the dog do. does, you know, and, yeah, and you have a nice smile and you're relaxed and you can, and you make eye contact and communicate. I think all those things would work in your favor or meaning, yeah. meaning anybody, if anybody lacked those things and tried to do what you did, it might come off as, 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 as contrived. Absolutely. And there's, a, a, you know, in this world of virtual, right? you know, the past few years have been completely virtual. So I've thought about, and I've been thrown into situations, kind of similar situations. So I've, I've thought about like, well, if I come across an issue like that, how would I solve it in a mm -hmm. virtual environment mm -hmm. like this? And, you know, there's other things you can do. There's playful things you can do with cameras on and, but it's not That's quite the same. Well, so let's let's stay on this. What happened then in the conversation? So you go from the cube, it's nine, it's time for the meetings. So you're back to the task, the, the, the requirements gathering task. Right. How did your interaction with her change? Especially, I want to know what you did. How did the interaction with her change so that she started to contribute information you could use and you were able to keep that going so you... you that was your task and you had to plow through yeah. a, a lot i'm sure when so i don't know if you've probably seen but when you're working with somebody that doesn't want to give you information it's very apparent <laughs> because yeah they're non-verbal so yeah right. yeah well they'll or, or they'll just tell you this doesn't work you know they'll <laughs> wait for you to write the requirement and then they'll say they'll tell you that why it doesn't work and so you know it it just became a lot more of a conversational. Okay, well, tell me why. You know, oh, because we need to account for this. I mean, this was this were a lot of financial. That's useful information. That, yeah, that me as a twenty-something-year-old had no idea about. I couldn't. Yeah. I needed her to tell me what the, yeah. the system should look like, and some of the things that I later on found that were really good ideas was to try and make the new system. Everything from the nomenclature to even the ribbon, the color of the ribbon up at the top, mm -hmm. to match what they had written before. Yeah, yeah. And I know that there's, you know, people now talk about how that's, you know, something that, you know, is a technique and you should be able, you should be aware of these user experience things that matter. But, you know, back True. then, that we, we had no, you know, we it was the, you were winging kind of it. the wild west. <laughs> we were winging it. But we thought, you know, hey, you know, you call these... 
paper folders, red books. Well, let's call this tab here red book because it does the same thing, you know. Yeah. And that way, the familiarity with exactly exactly is, is right there. Exactly. So yeah, things like that. It it those techniques definitely. I think I use them to this day. That's so. interesting. One could think that's trivial. I don't think it is, but one could think that's just like why does that matter? Well, but let's think about why that matters for a minute. You and I know how much change organizations go through constantly, even though in the end, sometimes it doesn't seem like a lot is different, but there are organizations, especially in the government, and look, in the business you're in, healthcare IT, it's changing all the time if no, for no reason other than technology. Right. But budgets and new leadership and new priorities, and somebody says, let's do some process re you know how it is. Yeah. All, all the time. Yeah. And people have to steal themselves some, like it's like if you stand in the beach about knee high or thigh high and there's some waves, you kind of have to try to steady yourself because it's just constant commotion and commotion. Organizations feel that way, especially around IT, especially maybe around health IT. So you just have to steady yourself against waves and waves of change. Not Rami, not that particular activity, just change in general, right? So then what happens if, how might change go so that it feels better. It feels more useful. Well, one of the ways is what you what you were saying was that you you build in some familiarity. That's not a trite thing or a superficial thing. It actually allows because all of us are this way. It allows us to keep that part of our brain sort of wired in the same way that it was. We don't have to rewire everything. We don't have to figure out everything anew. Some things just carry on conceptually. Right. And if the system changed but you call that thing the red book, somebody knows always what that, next time they're in the system, they know what that means. Yeah, exactly. One less thing they've got to reorient themselves to. Mm -hmm. And the more you can build in transfers that crosses over the change date, <laughs> the, new, the new launch date, the more they have to run with. Very important. Yeah, and I think that, you know, in this age of software as a service mm -hmm. and reusable systems and capabilities and, and and that what gets lost in all of that is the i guess the the customization that leads to that familiarity that we were talking about that leads to that increased adoption or the better user experience in the system and i think that one of the things that i think that technology's moving away from because i've you know i've seen in the last few years especially a lot of software as a service systems where say basically you're handed a solution right. that you can minimally customize for your needs mm -hmm. and that may work as far as you know IT investments for your right. budget and that, those sorts of things but for the it it's absolutely i think detrimental to the user experience because that customization that that special touch that you can put on a system like you know, naming something that you're familiar with or the color scheme. Sure. You know, sure. I think that, that those are important. And, the, and I think oftentimes those get cast aside in the interest of speed and reusability. Well, and, and, and tell me how, how are you able to do the same thing with some of the functional requirements so that she saw in it functions that would persist. They might operate differently. They might operate better. I've never known someone who owned a system who also didn't know what was wrong or bad about it. 
And if, right. they, if they could, they'd improve it. How did you get to this functional requirement? So she's like, yeah, let's, we need to do this, Rami. Build that in, improve this, where she was enthusiastically helping you. So that came about, and this is actually something else that I wanted to talk about, was she, was she, she could actually, because she was really familiar with the system, mm-hmm. could visualize no. the, the future state, right? Sweet. I, but I have worked with a lot of, uh, customers and clients that they can't. So what I've done, and I even if I'm not supposed to, <laughs> is I will show them the test environment. I'll bring up the test environment or even the dev environment and let them play around with it. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's brilliant. It, you know, giving them that sandbox and letting them actually kind of get in it. Like, yeah, you yeah. can't break anything. Go for it. You know? <laughs> it's all dumbing data. That there was, that's another technique that I think for, for folks that are having You're right. a hard time really articulating the gaps and the needs, that's a, another. That's brilliant. Yeah. There's something very compelling about that for a user when they get to literally, because you're right, in the meetings, it's just all concepts. Maybe you're drawing something on a whiteboard. Mm-hmm. There's words on a page, a PowerPoint slide. You've got requirements gathering documents, you might, like a format, you might template, but it's just concepts. Yeah. When they can interact with it, see something on a screen, it just it brings it home in a way. You know, you know Greg Giddens. Um, he's retired from government. He's doing some consulting. He and I did an episode when he was a younger guy doing some um, radio engineering. He was trying to buy some microwave components, right? And the CO was just not help. It was it was an acquisition issue. The CO just wasn't working with them. He was in an urgent hurry. She was stalling, quote unquote stalling. What you just said made me think of this. He had the idea to ask her and her team to, like, it was around, I think it might have been Dayton, like, like at Wright Pat Air Force Base, and go mm-hmm. to where he was, his lab or his facility, to see what he was doing. Rami, she didn't know he needed a telecommunications microwave component. In her head, she's thinking, like, kitchen microwaves. <laughs> right what's her point of reference right <laughs> the yeah. kitchen microwave i don't suppose she was a co contracting officer who'd done a lot of telecommunications acquisitions before how did she know right yeah so she's not not wanting to buy it she's just not getting it and not and getting the urgency and maybe and this happens to all of us maybe it was sort of just tacit she hadn't thought it through she hadn't th- looked at that on her desk and gone I got to call Greg and ask him what the hell this is about because I'm confused. You just don't think of it always explicitly. And if you're busy and you're pressured by other deadlines, you just might keep pushing that one thing away because you don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. It maybe wasn't very deliberate. Like, I'm not helping him. I'm not buying. No. Then when she went down and she said, oh, my God, you're talking about these things? (laughs) Like, he had the parts in no time, right? The acquisition went through. It sailed right through. But it was exactly what you said. It was putting your eyes on something, touching it, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right. So let me ask a a, a, a wrinkle on the question. It's a great story. Thanks for spending some time on on it because it's fun to get a glimpse into how you got on the same page with somebody and how it it worked. You do what you do. Did you do this for, for, for a living? You're trying to get people on some same page about things all the time. Do you have a definition of what does it mean to be on the same page? A working definition, something you aim at. You working, know. I think it's it's something that you. I know when I have 
I know when I'm on the when same the, page. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I, it, I can definitely sense when I'm not. And it's it's hard for me to kind of quantify. What do you when, what do you see in somebody when you know they're they're with you or they're coming around to get on the same page with you? They ask they ask a lot of questions. Ah, uh, interesting. So they in become the yeah. more interested, more curious. Right, and then the other thing is is that it they are a lot more inclusive of me. I get added to all their meetings and interesting. You know because they they want they. Because they understand where I'm coming from, they want me to hear the same thing that they're hearing. Interesting. Okay. So that 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 tells me I'm on the same page, you know, because otherwise it's like, oh, I'll just relay this information to him. Yeah, I'll send him an email or I'll talk to I'll him next him week. Yeah, right, 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 right. So that that to me is a big indicator. Um, yeah, you're right. That I'm on the same page as someone, even if it's even it's being added as something you know is optional or yeah, you know. They're making you aware of it, which is the right. Some guys on this show have have used the phrase, "I understand what you understand about a situation." And I think that's valuable. And conversely, you understand what I understand about a situation. So let's we we don't have to go yet to all the way to the point of agreement. We agree with some of each other about something. But if you got someone to the point where they understood what you understood. And you could understand what they understood. Yeah. It, 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 there's a, there's some way in which the, the, the separate circles we are in a Venn diagram overlap more. At that point, mm-hmm. there's some more shared knowledge and shared. And there's some people's. I think their communication style or their communication preference is something that you need to be aware of. How so? You know, and they. So there's there's some people that are like I said very. Inclusive. So let, let me give you right. an example. Uh, an email. If I send an email to you, Lou, and copy your boss, my boss, a couple of people on this team and this team, mm-hmm. it's going to seem very different than if I just sent it to just you, obviously. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, so it, in learning the way that people receive your communication, I think is important. Interesting. Um, That's a great point. And the power of communication is something I think that I didn't, I definitely didn't realize that early in my career, the way, you know, it's even the simple things as addressing the way that you address people in meetings, Uh Um, you know, definitely your, your writing style, I think is something that you, everybody needs to be aware of and also to be aware of who you're communicating with and how they're going to receive that. That's interesting. Say a little bit more about that because you live in a world of requirements, which is a highly stylized thing, mm-hmm. right? The way a good requirement is written has to capture something that isn't technical. It's about a user, let's say, a user at function, a user at operation, but has to be translated into something that is technical because someone's going to take that requirement and build something with it. So you're bridging worlds. Yeah, and, uh, and, and developers are very literal. Developers, <laughs> you know, actually, I, I love how you I, said that. <laughs> they're, well, they need to be. There's this, yeah, and there's actually there. You know what? There are there's two different kinds of developers out there that I found. Some will take your requirement and literally develop it the exact way it's written. So if it's written, you know, if you have the versus all or <laughs> you know a <laughs> comma in the wrong place. They'll do it that way. 
So you have to be, and especially I think sometimes where there's maybe not not a language barrier, but you know, Look, people's English proficiency sure, isn't different at the same level. Sure. So you have sure. to. So oh, very true. Just, yeah. Very One of the true. things that in my earlier projects that we did was, and I I don't know if that this actually kind of took off or if it really. So we had, you know, you've heard of test-driven development, right? Mm -hmm. So we would have our developers sit with our business analysts when they were writing the requirements. Not in all the requirement sessions, but they actually write the requirements in the system. They would sit right next to them and ask them questions as they were writing yeah, the requirement, yeah. the acceptance criteria. Yeah. And that way they can go back to the business and say, okay, I need... These are the questions that I had. So it's not, you know, now they call it test-driven development. I guess you call it requirement-driven development. I don't okay. know if that's a term there. But but that was a good way to get the developer and the, B, the business analyst to be on yeah. the same page, to stay on the same. Yeah. And then, yeah. so that takes care of one link in the chain. And like you said, then, I think, the, develop, then the tester sits with the developer as he's developing. Wow, okay, okay. He's okay. writing the code, and he's saying, here's how I'm going to test that. So he knows exactly how to test it based on how it was built. That's cool. That's pretty efficient yeah. and effective. It just helps clear, it helps avoid miscommunication that is bound to occur. It does, yeah. And if you think about it, like it, the, people will say that there isn't time for that, you know? Um, <laughs> there, I don't have time to have a developer making $100 an hour sit with a BA to watch him write requirements. But if you actually look at the, the, the development cycle that we go through, the sprint cycles, there's actually plenty of time for that. Because if you look <laughs> at the amount of, of rework and conversation right, that right, happens right. back and forth between all those different yeah. folks, you could have eliminated that just while that person was doing his work. Well, and, you know, this, you know, they'll say, don't have time to do it right, but I have time to do it twice. <laughs> Exactly. Right. I don't have time to do it right, but I have time. That's a, that's a good one. And it does become more costly, not just because of extra time. It becomes more costly in other ways to start redoing things, to make redoing yeah. things your, 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 your MO. Okay. Yeah. I mean, people talk about like, throw it over the fence. You've heard that. Term yeah, 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 yeah. You, you don't want to just throw it over the fence. But right. If you look at the, that's exactly what we're doing. We're throwing those requirements yeah, over the fence yeah. to the developers. Yeah. They're throwing their code over to the testers and saying that, you know. Yeah. So if you really do want to eliminate those silos, I think that's probably, I think, one of the only ways to do it. Uh, let me ask you this because something occurred to me. I bet, I think I know the answer, but I want to ask you to tell me what your experience is. I also would expect useful things to emerge from those conversations Let's say the developer and the BA are talking. You were a BA. You did your best to collect the requirements, document them in the way you thought, if implemented, would meet the need. You could be sitting with a developer who has a somewhat of a different background and an angle on, on it, right? He or she could see something, say something, ask you something, and you go, I, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah. I can go get an answer. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not like all this stuff moves in one clean linear line and out of the conversation could emerge something useful. And it right. probably wouldn't have emerged the same way or at all if it had been thrown over the fence and you do this handoff. And, and, and sometimes because then the developer is going to go, BA is not around. I don't have I'm not I'm just going to do it this way. Yeah. And, and 
to that point there, the easy thing would say, well, then why don't I just bring my developers into my requirements gathering? Ooh, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. that is, that's a huge problem there. <laughs> so, because they yeah, really, they, you, they you, do. <laughs> yeah, you do need a little bit of that separation. Space, yeah, right. That, that conversation, that back and forth can happen. And then really at that point, then it's it's the developer and the BA both going back to right. the business and asking the question. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah the BA, the the, 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 the the role and the function of the BA is an art because there's a, and this is a really interesting thing to me, just personally interests me about how we communicate meaning and intent. It's a phrase I'm, I use a lot. I'm writing a guidebook on how to get on the same page. And, you know, my, my website's going to launch in a couple months. And I'm okay. So, I, I, and I'm, there's some steps I'm going to propose in a little method, four steps for getting on the same page. Meaning and intent is something that's very central to transmitting between people, two people or a team. Mm-hmm. And it's not exactly a black box it's not like well we really can't see it and don't know what's happening what was meaning and intent mean how is it communicated or how is it shared if i see a situation some way and you see it differently or we size things up differently we would do something differently about it doesn't mean we can't that's probably good and in the right conversation we can we can merge some of that or we can integrate some of that or we can a third thing could come out of it by how we talk right so it's not like it's a black box and we can't see into it, don't know what's going on. But it is an art, is, was my point about the BA. It's an art to be able to, you kind of almost have to hear sometimes what wasn't said, but maybe meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Implied, you pick up a cue and you ask about it. So they go, they elaborate. And then you're, then you're getting more of the information you thought might have been there. If it wasn't there, there's no harm done. But if it was there, it helps you write the requirement better. Yeah. I think one of the hardest things I've learned that a BA has to do is, like you said, you have that balance between trying to elucidate their requirements, identify what the need is, and then how that how the system is going to perform to meet that need. Mm-hmm. But then, like you said, intent matters. So what happens is that a lot of times when you have a group that is open and willing to give you all the requirements that you need is that you end up having three or four voices in the room that try and kind of take over (laughs) and then start to try to ask some of those same questions that the BA is asking. Mm -hmm. And there's a balance there where you have to try and try and funnel a lot of that Mm -hmm. through Mm -hmm. one voice so that you don't have, you know, five different opinions um, Mm -hmm. really kind of morphing. So, yeah, there's a balance there where you, you kind of want everyone to to chime in, to give their opinion on how things should be worded, even down to, you know, just something as simple as that. Um, yeah, yeah, right. But be aware that you may end up getting four or five different opinions on every single thing. There's a, there's a nice way to kind of arrive at consensus without basically having just the democracy on every single well that's an important point and i was going to ask you i was going to shift a little bit and ask you about we've talked a lot about what works getting on the same page i was going to ask you what what's what doesn't work and maybe what happens when you can't but let me stay on this for a second i have this i'm working on this notion as part of the guidebook and the coaching i'm going to develop for later in the year that 
each of us sees something in a situation, but not other things. I mean, not everything. We see something in a situation, we don't see other things. We size up what we see. We make something of it in a certain way and not some other way. We know what we would do about it and not something else as a means to an end and not some other end. There's four things. What we see, what sense we make of it, what we would do, and why that thing. Different people with different roles on a project or even different use of a system would answer those questions in different ways. And different people with different backgrounds, different experience, different technical experience, different knowledge. We see, we're trained to see different things and size them up in certain ways. And so I could imagine the situation you described where four or five people are sort of telling it like they see it with just some subtle differences. Maybe not subtle, but let's just say that there's some nuances. You probably have to reconcile some of that because you can't have one requirement can't do two or three different things. It can't, it can't be implemented in different ways. So you mentioned there are some ways to get consensus on that. How did you pull a few of those threads together to get them to go? Yeah. Okay. That way. So there's one time, one situation that can't comes to mind. And again, this was, these are, this was, you know, recurring requirement sessions with the same group of SMEs, you know, happening for sometimes two, three months. Mm -hmm. So this was a couple months into this engagement. People were just kind of probably tired of hearing my voice and, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, and sometimes, you know, people, you know, like I said, people's, you know, personal motivations, maybe somebody's in a bad mood that day and just wants to be disagreeable. Yeah. So I realized that I wasn't going to be able to get past this. I couldn't referee this disagreement. Oh, interesting. Because they were just, you know, both sides had kind of dug in their heels and said, you know, this is how it should be. And it was kind of nearing towards the end of the session. So I wrote both of those requirements, two separate ones, even though I knew that they were in conflict. But then what I did was I, it was, I think that was on a Thursday or Friday. Then I gave it till after the weekend. And then we had the larger group of SMEs there. And what I did was rather than present this as a conflicting requirement, mm-hmm. I just presented these requirements, went through them with the group, kind of talked about which how they mapped to different areas of the system. Mm-hmm. And it came out right. from the group right. that this was a conflict. <laughs> so I, let the, I let them do it yeah. but just by showing it to yeah. them. Yeah. But if I was going to try and sit there for the last, hour of that meeting and wordsmith this requirement and the acceptance criteria for it it would i mean i i, I could have but it was still would not have achieved somebody would have felt like they're not getting their way uh-huh right know? right that rather was... than do that i said you know what let's just write it up this way in this way and i'll go ahead and i'll put these into the backlog and then when we Brilliant. map these to the system capabilities we'll you know i didn't even have to say that i just did that and that's what I have an, it was very organic that way. Uh, that's brilliant. I have an advanced degree in conflict resolution. You act like you do too. <laughs> <laughs> I have a master's. You act like you have a PhD in it. No, if there's you've, one for like kids, then that's what I need. No, you've learned some. No, you've learned some things along the way that are that are very. What's I'm, I'm trying to think of a different way than saying insightful about human nature, but I think you've figured out some things about how people work in these situations, and you've been real effective at 
at interacting with. That's a brilliant way to do it because you got yourself out of that intermediary role that you really wasn't productive at that previous yeah. Thursday or Friday. For whatever reasons they had their heels dug in, you might not have been able to get them undug that day. The next week, there were more people involved, right? In the next meeting? Yeah, yep. this was a larger group. Yeah. That changes some perspective. But also, when you presented both requirements, the context for them had changed. The context for the competing requirements the previous Thursday or Friday was whatever it was. It was the, it was the, it was the requirements gathering you were doing that day. And in the yeah. minds of those parties, they had, those, they had a, two requirements fixed for a reason. Everything is a means to an end. They had the requirement in their minds separately, fixed as a means to some end, and they weren't reconcilable at that time. The following week, another meeting with more people and presented both, the context had changed. Like you said, you were probably giving them, you were walking through everything. Yeah, right. And showing them how different things mapped different parts of the system. The context of the individuals was such that they could see what the disparity or the, the mm-hmm. ir- ir- irreconcilability of it. So what came out of it? Did, was it one or the other? Or did something come together in an integrated way that, that emerged? Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember. So I'm trying to actually remember the specific requirement. That's all right. It had to do with like adding something versus modifying. Mm-hmm. We need the ability to just, if it's something different, we just add it. And they're saying, you know, well, no, we also need to be able to edit it in case I made a mistake. And anyway, it was yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. All sort of. You know, back and really what they they were saying was the same thing. You know, they needed the ability to create and edit. And I think it just getting them to see that, you know, when they when they kind of saw everything, because I was just basically going through like a, a traceability matrix and going through all the different tabs. And when we got to the tab that had those requirements and you read them both, you just can see yeah. that it does, you know, it didn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, well done. So, man. Yeah. Well done. And then the other thing I think... You know, the, the business analysts that I found, the roles that I've worked in, when I say that you're thrown out there to the wolves, I mean that. <laughs> so if you think about the context of a of a project, right? A project starts with an acquisition, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, who's involved in that acquisition process? Not the users. Right. Absolutely not, right? I mean, typically not. Right. And then after that, you have an award. And then there's planning. And even then, until you actually get to the first requirements. <laughs> gathering stuff, yeah, you know? You're right. Yeah. Who's the first person that they see? Yeah. It's the BA. And, you know, I don't think anybody realizes is that the face? That's the face of the project. That's the that's going to be their first impression. Yeah, on yeah. Everything going forward with this project, really for all through implementation and probably sustainment if it gets to that point. Mm-hmm. And I thought if people really paid attention to that and, and invested in making that a, a working relationship and establishing a working relationship from the get-go, mm-hmm. you know, I, later on I had tried to do that, you know, have some icebreakers and, mm-hmm. you know, just not throw up a, an Excel spreadsheet and start talking <laughs> about the you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, things like that, you know, I, I remember one time I was preparing for this one requirements kickoff, like all weekend. And I'd been preparing up in my office and I'd put these like giant post-its all over the walls of their entire, you know, this, this business is, you know, process, mm-hmm. 
all the different, you know, sort of capabilities just to kind of get it in my head. So right. when I was talking to them, I wasn't reading off a sheet of paper. And I go into this meeting and it's got, they have all their policy folks there, their SMEs, leadership, everybody there, right? It's a big kickoff. Mm -hmm. And just to break the ice, I actually, I had taken a picture of those post-its on the wall mm -hmm. in my office. Mm -hmm. And I put that up. Mm -hmm. I put that up on the first slide. And mm -hmm. I was like, this is what I did this weekend. <laughs> Getting ready. For, you know, just to let you know that, you know, they, they were cracking up you know yeah, thought, this is great but just to let them know that i've i've done some homework i'm on this journey with you so let's do this together kind of thing you know well that that's another i, I keep saying brilliant because you're brilliant that's a so one it was it showed them that you cared yeah you were vested in it which they didn't know what do they know right right They're, yeah two it depicted, without going into any details, it depicted some complexity. Yeah. People forget how complex these things are because you work with a piece of it or you work with an aspect of it. And there's a great book I've read called The Knowledge Illusion, Why We Never Think Alone. In the early pages, the author makes the point, there's not one person, this is true, something he says, but it's true of many things, there's not one person who... One person who knows everything about how an airplane works. Mm -hmm. a scary thought, but there's not one person. Yeah. Not even the pilot knows everything about how the plane works. Someone, yeah. or he knows some things, but somebody knows a lot more. Mm -hmm. Some mechanic or some software guy or some, some, some engineer, right? And, and he's illustrating that as part of a chapter that's setting up the book where he, he talks, he, he does an exercise. Where he tells people to draw a bicycle. Just like, pencil stick figure kind of drawing draw a bicycle he, rep he pre reprints some of the images and they're hysterical rami you can look at them and see that it, mechanically it wouldn't work mm -hmm. they got there's no chain on it they got they got they got you know the they've got things connected and that wouldn't move but it and it's a bicycle we've been riding them since we were five right so his point is about how distributed knowledge is and how knowledge needs to be, processes need to tap distributed knowledge to put it, to bring it together, which is behind what you've been saying a lot of. The thing is, by your image, you're reminding them there's a lot to this. Yeah. And then it shifts the context for them because everybody walks in knowing their piece of it. And if they want to, I could, I could like pound my desk here. If they want to, they could dig their heels in about their piece of it. Yeah, absolutely. But then when that's, they look at a, they look at the whole thing, they go, "Ah, oh, you know what? There's 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 a lot more to this, and all these people sitting here with me have some piece of it too." And it shifts the mindset a little bit, which is which is a better starting place for what you're about to do. Yeah, and uh, and actually back to that same kickoff meeting, they had the deputy director for the program office, an SES, in the room, mm. <laughs> and one of the things that came out of our kind of kickoff uh, requirements kickoff was that we we are here to trans help transform your business and and a part of that transformation could have policy implications mm -hmm. or there's policy that we need to be aware of sure. or policy that needs to change sure. in order to meet some of these these needs that you have after that meeting he dedicated two policy people to every single one of our requirement sessions wow to then report back to him at the end of each day on which policy recommendations 
we should change based out of the requirement sessions. So when you get that kind of buy-in from business where they actually believe that you have their best interest at heart, they're willing to dedicate whatever it takes. Time and effort, resources. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Probably the only time I've actually had that happen where somebody's said, you know what, what needs to change? Tell me what needs to change. And then we will take a look and see if that actually makes sense to change from a policy perspective. And if it does, we'll do that. That's pretty cool. Well, Rami, thank you for doing this with me. I've had fun and we've well, we've covered a lot of things and good stuff and had some laughs. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Yeah, th- this was great. This uh, conversations with you always are very easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad that this went well. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Really appreciate it. Have a good one. Okay, great. Thanks, Thanks Rami. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's how we see it, my friends. I want to thank Rami for recording today's episode. You can find it at iseewhatyoumean.castos.com, plus all the usual places. Send questions and suggestions through an app. Subscribe and give me a five-star rating unless you can't, in which case, tell me why. And join me next week when we take another look at how to get on the same page and stay there, unless we shouldn't. 